If you missed last Sunday, you missed one of the greatest messages of family month that you, we've ever had, for that matter. A great message, period. Uh, you, you, want to, you want to be sure and listen to the podcast of that sermon, The Strength of the Church. Everybody say, The Strength of the Church. And it has to do with every family standing on the wall and doing their part. I want to do my part today. Amen. And so along in, in that regard, talking about the family and specifically last week, how each family is placed upon the wall to rebuild uh, their particular portion of the wall. We all have important part to play. Uh, I'm thankful that I'm in the family of God. Amen. I am so thankful that I'm a part of the family of God, the body of Christ. And if you feel that way, it'd be okay if you just clap or say amen. Amen. I remember, I remember the night the Lord filled me with His Spirit and the change that it made in my life and how people look different. I want, to, I want the Lord to renew me again today in the Holy Ghost so that people look different. Somebody say amen. One Sunday morning during a service, in fact, a rather large church, about 2,000 members of a congregation were getting ready to have worship service and they were, uh, some of the preliminaries were going on and, and they hadn't really broken into the full service yet. And uh, some of the congregation, there was a, a gasp and, and then muffled screams and, and, and people scurrying. And when, when they came to realize uh, two men had entered that congregation, both head to toe, uh, covered in black, face mask, uh, armed with, uh, with uh, semi-automatic weapons. They entered that congregation and one of the men stepped right to the middle aisle and, and proclaimed, asked the question, is there anyone here today willing to take a bullet for Jesus Christ? Remain where you are. Immediately the choir fled, the deacons fled, most of the congregation fled. Out of about 2,000 people that were there, there were about 20 folks left in the seat. To which the man which had spoken in the center aisle pulled his face mask off and looked at the preacher and said, Okay, pastor, I got rid of all the hypocrites. Now you can start service. I don't know. Maybe the hypocrites needed to be there. I don't know. Maybe the 20 that stayed should have been dismissed. Somebody say amen. I'm thankful to be a part of the kingdom of God and especially his family. When I begin to think about the magnitude of that, I'm made aware very early on in the biblical story that God's pattern in creation that affected everything was that he instituted a family. A family. In fact, when you think about what happened in those creative days, in those uh, incredible chapters that we read early in Genesis, God, what God did in creation, uh, in fact, m much of that stuff continues to this very day. The sun comes up, the sun goes down. It knows its appointed place. Uh, the earth continues its rotation around the sun, bringing us seasons and days and months and years. Think about your work week. There are seven days in a week. God instituted that in the very beginning. 
there were seven days and on the seventh he rested. I don't know why somebody hasn't come along and said, you know, we ought to make a 10-day work week. For some reason, what God instituted in those few chapters still continues to this day. The family is another precedent that God established in Genesis 2 and 3. In fact, the first thing that was not good about God's creation was that Adam was alone. And it was not good for a man to be alone. Can I hear all the women say amen? Boy, that was rousing. God created Adam. God created Adam and for Adam he created a wife and he commissioned them to propagate the earth with their children. And in that commission, uh, understand that there was no sin or death or sorrow that had entered. They had a daily communion with God. They walked with him every day in the cool of the evening. It was in this environment that God said to Adam and Eve, I want you to have children and propagate the earth. So he wanted like kind to reproduce like kind. That's what he instituted in the garden. If he had not instituted that, then we wouldn't be sitting here today where we are, fighting arthritis, headaches, achy joints, pneumonia, fever. We wouldn't have sickness. In fact, we wouldn't have a graveyard. Because if Adam and Eve had made the only choice for themselves, then they would have suffered the consequences. But like reproduces like. Unfortunately, unlike the seasons and days and years, the family, the precedent that God initiated has come under attack and it came under attack very early in the biblical account. In fact, the Bible says Adam and Eve's first set of sons, this was not their only children, but it mentions that one of their uh, set of their sons, Cain and Abel, got into a misunderstanding when they came to worship God. And Cain murdered his brother in anger, and the family, I guess, from that point on, became a non-traditional family. He was marked. He went out from the presence of the Lord. He was a marked man. And the Lord said whoever killed Cain was going to suffer the judgment of God. In other words, God wanted Cain to suffer the consequences, the full effect of what he'd done all the days of his life because he had done a horrible thing by killing his brother. But that sin that entered into Adam and Eve and just one generation is full blown into murder. It has affected every area of society since that day to this very moment. So what does all that mean if God started all this with a family and that family got messed up really quick? I guess it would behoove us today to think for a moment that God does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
I'd like to say to you in the 21st century, thousands of years removed from the tragedy of what happened in that first family, I would like to say to you that as much as the enemy desired and tried to kill God's initial family unit, God does have a family right now in the 21st century, right here in this place. God has a family. Oh, you ought to give God praise for that today. His family, human families is God's object lesson. Think about it now. It's God's object lesson. Every husband in here, every wife in here, every parent, whether you're a single parent, foster parent, whatever non-traditional role you may play or traditional role, your family unit is an object lesson about the church. God always had a people. Always. Sin and wickedness waxed worse and worse. But God always had a people. In fact, when God said, I'm sorry that I ever got this started, and he got ready to wipe it all out, God had somebody ready for grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And because of the grace that poured out on one man, four families found their way to safety into a boat. In complete obedience to God, what happened in that man's life affected his children. And because of that, we sit here today. God's always had a people. Not long after that, he would handpick a man before there was ever a Jew or a Jewish nation. There was no such thing as a Jew. See, a Jew is not a Jew because of a land that he has. He is a Jew because of his lineage. Abraham was not even a Jew. He was a Chaldean. God made him a Jew. You become a new creature in Christ. You may be French German, but when you become a child of God, you're a brand new creature. <laughs> oh, give the Lord praise today if you're thankful for that. God has always had a family. In fact, God's called Abram out of that Ur of the Chaldees. God's promise to him was connected again, everybody say, to a family. To a family. In fact, the Bible says that the Lord said, through thee and thy seed shall all of the earth be blessed. That tells me that God handpicked a man and said, through your family, blessings are going to come. The family is important. But that led me today, if God never changes and he's always had a people and a family in the earth, I begin to think about our individual families. But I think the spiritual connection is not about our individual families alone. It's about what God has done through Jesus Christ in each and every one of us. Bringing us into the family of God. The Bible says we were once strangers and foreigners. The word uses alien. Think about that in our politically correct culture when you start thinking about our aliens in our nation. I want you to think about yourself. You were once an alien. You were not a citizen of his world. But you who were afar off have now been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. 
No. I wasn't born in the right family for this. I wasn't raised in the right place for this. I had no merit in myself to ever receive an invitation to be a part of such a great family. But here I am today, a part of the family of God. And I'm thankful for it. Well, let's give the Lord praise together today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Psalm 68, verse 6. I mention it, I think, in passing a few times. I have not been able to get away from this verse uh, leading into family month. And in Psalms 68, verse 6, the first stanza says, God setteth the solitary in families. He bringeth out those which are bound with chains. But the rebellious dwell in a dry land. Oh, we, we need some rain, don't we? <laughs> We may need rain, but we may need to be less rebellious. If, if, if obedience brings rain, let's get to it. <laughs> and while it was thundering during the Sunday school hour, we were so unaccustomed to that sound. It's been so long, I saw some of you going, what's that? It's thunder. <laughs> I was over there praying, oh Lord, let it thunder some more. Send it. Anyway, this scripture says, God setteth the solitary. In families, it gives us a picture of what God wanted to do. Ever since that initial family structure was broken, God wanted to have a family in the earth. And in the Israelite society, only adult males had legal rights. You've come a long way, baby. Only adult males had any legal rights. That meant that orphans, widows, Resident aliens and the like had no one to defend their interest. In Psalm 68, we get a a picture of what God is desiring to do. The word here for solitary means friendless. Are those forsaken? Are those that have never had a home? It literally means the Lord will settle the lonely and the wanderers in a place they can call home. He literally takes those that have no family. He takes those that are lonely, forsaken. And he says, I've got a family for you. I'm going to set you in a family. Now that's just not a mom and dad that are going to put a roof over my head and give me three square meals a day. There's something bigger than that. It's the family of God. He takes the lonely and gives them a place called home. He takes those forsaken and he gives them a place to call their own. Some of you wonder why we sing around here. Well, the connotation of this verse, Psalm 68, verse 6, one one commentary says this, He sets the prisoner free by means of a happy deliverance because the connotation is he does it to music. We've got a right to sing and worship and praise God when we come together in this, in this arena because He has delivered us. He has made us free. We were outcast and here we are. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise for thanksgiving. Ephesians 5 verse 29. Ephesians 5 verse 29. No man ever hated his own body but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. 
Oh, wow. No man ever hated his own flesh, even as the Lord nourishes and cherishes the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bone. That tells me something today. I want every one of you to know very quickly early in this sermon that the Lord cherishes you. I was so moved today by, I'm so thankful for our panel today. And really in this non-traditional role, we really get a glimpse of what God did for every one of us. No, God didn't adopt us so he could give us nice stuff. No, he adopted us because he wanted us to be his child. It's that simple. He didn't adopt us so that we would have a place to call our own or to give us a good job or money in the bank account or to heal us when we were sick. He adopted us because he wanted us to be his children. I don't know if that settles in on you. I am now a child of God. He nourishes me. He cherishes me. Oh, I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. Just as God built Eve, listen now, very carefully. I know, I know I'm about to get in political correctness trouble here. I'm about to get way out there. But don't you ever forget that God built Eve with that which he took out of Adam. He didn't go form some other being. No, everything she is, he took out of that man. Hello? So men, think of everything your bride is. Your testosterone, and she is estrogen. Where did she get all that that drives you crazy? She got it from you. That's where she got it. That's right. Think, Adam was complete in himself. Everything she is, God took out of... The building blocks for Eve were taken. So in that manner does God build the church because she was taken out of Jesus Christ. So I'm not talking about a family unit that just comes together and has meals every once in a while. I'm talking about something greater than that. It is a church that Jesus Christ is building that came out of himself. I'm glad to be in the church. Now, she's spoken of as a bride. Everybody say a bride. Everybody say a bride. Turn to your neighbor and say, I remember when you were a bride. That might be a little odd for you to tell the guy sitting next to you. No. Everybody say a bride. I've officiated in a lot of weddings. There's been a lot of interesting things happening in weddings. And according to the dreams of the bride, each of them have been unique, the wedding experience. Some of them have had, they've all had different colors and different kind of outfits. I've seen, I think I've seen it all and then I'm shocked. Not in a bad way, just... Well, I never thought of that. It's not a bad thing. 
So the bride has all these dreams. She gets really early what she wants in her ceremony, what she wants it to be, what color she wants, who, what friends are going to be there, and what her dress is going to look like. I like this. I like that. Makes me look fat. That makes me look skinny. That makes me. This is not my color. That's not my color. I want my, you know. But according to the dreams of the bride, every service is unique. But one thing, if I say one thing, one thing has always remained the same. She comes in adorned in her beautiful wedding dress. Her hair is beautifully arranged. Every wedding is the same. The bride steals the show. The bride steals the show. My mind goes quickly to Jared and Shara getting married. And when the doors opened and Greg uh, was standing there with Shara to walk her down the aisle, I don't think Jared's response was because Greg was back there. I was standing right beside Jared and I heard him under his breath. When those doors swung open, he said, Dude. That's all he said. Dude, you hear strange things up there when the star of the show gets ready to enter. Just last week, I was standing beside Ozzy, and when those doors swung open and Rachel and her dad started up that sidewalk, I haven't seen Ozzy move, you know, emotionally. I've seen him cry a few times, but 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 when Rachel started down that sidewalk. I don't think Ozzy was, had tears in his eyes and got a little fidgety because Homer was coming down the sidewalk. No, uh, no, no. There was somebody that was the star of the show and it was Rachel. <laughs> I want you to think about that when you think about how mad God is at you or how upset he is at you or what you may feel like you've done that causes him to say you're no longer the star of the show but I want to tell you something today that the church is the bride of Christ and the bride is still the star of the show I want you to know right now Jesus said upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The bride is the star of the show. He loves you. He cherishes you. Oh, give the Lord praise right now. Hallelujah. I'm glad to be a part of the family. Ephesians 5, 27 the Bible tells us that he did some great things. He did some awesome things. And then in verse 27, I don't want to read, there's a lengthy reading there of everything that Jesus did. But in verse 27, he did all this that he might present it to himself a glorious church. That's why I'm preaching today about the family of God. If I could entitle this, I would entitle it the glorious church. We who were forsaken, desolate, lonely, no place to call our home, we have been brought by the hand of God into a family that's called the church. God is preparing her. God does it his way. There's a place for you and I in the family of God. I ran across, I guess I need to give you a little mental break here, but I, I ran across something that was very special and it was 
God does, God does things His way. You understand that, right? I ran across a little article about uh, somebody compiled some letters to God from children. How many know there are times when you don't understand why God's doing a certain thing, that God does it His way? Well, they ran across some, they accumulated or compiled some letters to God from children. Dear God, did you mean for the giraffe to look like that or was that an accident? Dear God, instead of letting people die and having to make new ones, why don't you just keep the ones you have now? Dear God, who draws the lines around the countries? She must have been in geography class. Dear God, I went to a wedding and they kissed right in church. Is that okay? Dear God, thank you for my baby brother. But what I prayed for was a puppy. Dear God, please send me a pony. I never asked for anything before. You can look it up. Dear God, I want to be just like my dad when I get big, but just not with so much hair all over. Dear God, I bet it's very hard for you to love all the people in the world. There are only four people in my family and I can never do it. <laughs> Dear God, of all the people who work for you, I like Noah and David the best. Dear God, if you watch me in church Sunday, I'll show you my new shoes. <laughs> Dear God, we read that Thomas Edison made light, but in Sunday school, we learned that you did it. So I bet he stole your idea. <laughs> Dear God, I didn't think orange went with purple until I saw that sunset you made on Tuesday. See, there are times in our lives we don't know what should go together. But God knows. You know what? If I was putting together a church, I think I'd put some select people together. But my, look what God has done. I mean, can you imagine this crew together here? I mean, can you even strategize to put all of it together? I mean, some of you had no idea what apostolic or apostolic or whatever they call it is. Here you are. Some of you came out of a drug culture. Some of you were way down in the pit that the Lord brought you out of as a glory. Some of you were raised in church. You may be sitting a few rows away from somebody you fought with a few years ago. You may, when we start looking at what the Lord is doing, you know, I never knew all that went together. But thank God the church is not all like me. Because we'd never get anything done because never do today what you can put off until tomorrow. So when I begin to think about the great family of God, I begin to think about each one of you and all of your gifts and your abilities. 
Yeah, sometimes we may wonder how, but God has a plan for his church. And the verse was up there during Sunday school hours. Sister Alicia did a tremendous job, tremendous. And she mentioned it right at the close about the Lord adopting us because of the purpose of his will. I don't want you to ever forget the magnitude of that, that we are now where we are today here because God had a plan for us. I didn't just find a church I liked and just kind of showed up and we just kind of fit. No, God planned me to be a part of his church. Somebody say amen. I want you to think about something else as I hurry. The church Jesus is building is his body here on the earth right now. So how special should this be to me to gather together with my brothers and sisters in a place that we gather to worship God? How important should that be? Now I know the church is bigger than the hundreds that we have here today, but this is a part of his body. Amen. And I'm reminded of Saul on the road to Damascus. And you remember, he is persecuting the church. The Bible says that born again, spirit-filled group of believers that just a few chapters earlier had experienced the new birth. Saul, a Jew, was threatening, the Bible says. He wanted to stamp out this craziness that was going on. And he was on his way to Damascus with letters to put to death those that believed in that way. And he got stopped on the road to Damascus. And the first thing he heard was, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And Saul said, I don't even know who you are. Who are you? And the voice said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Don't you ever forget that. Because Jesus did not say, why are you persecuting my disciples? He did not say, why are you persecuting my church? He did not say, why are you talking about my people? Jesus said, Saul, when you're persecuting the church, you are persecuting me. When you are talking about the church, you are talking, oh, you're not hearing me, but I'm gonna keep right on preaching. When you're unfaithful to the church, you're unfaithful to me. Me and the church are the same thing. No, I don't know about you, but I'm glad to be in the family today. I'm in, oh. Oh, somebody ought to praise the Lord right now. I'm not here to talk about what's going on. I'm not here to talk about somebody sitting here. I wanna be what Jesus wants me to be. Oh, come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. Oh, come on, he's worthy. And you know why? You know why Jesus said, Saul, you're persecuting me? Because the church is the body of Christ. Jesus' life has been multiplied into thousands and thousands of people. Think about it. Those farmers are fixing to start cutting corn and beans. They planted a couple of kernels of corn in the ground and, and uh, maybe one, maybe a couple. We're not sure how 
diligent and what a good steward that planter is. But uh, one of those grains came out of the ground and multiplied into hundreds and hundreds of, of grains of corn. John chapter 12 tells us that Jesus said, except a grain of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if I'm going to have a family, if I'm going to have a church, what he's saying is the grain of wheat by which all his children would be like has to first die. And when it's put in the when it dies and it's put in the ground, he said it's going to bring forth much fruit. Just like that one grain of corn, you go out there and pull that ear off and pull that silk back, you see hundreds of grains just like the one that went in the ground. So it is with the church. You pull back the covering of our individual lives and you see the same power that they put in that grave. Oh. You see the same victory that Jesus won. I'm a part of the body of Christ because he brought me into the family of God. How does that happen? How, do, how does God take a drug addict, put him on the same row with somebody that was raised in church? They're worshiping the same God. They got the same victory. And if they're faithful, they're going to the same reward. How does that happen? 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also in Christ. Listen. For by one spirit. Did you hear that? By one spirit are we baptized into one body. Whether you be Jews or Gentiles, whether you be bond or free, we've all been made to drink that same spiritual drink. That says you didn't become a part of the church because you signed an attendance roll. You didn't become a part of the family because you shook the preacher's hand. You became a part of the family of God when the Holy Ghost baptizes you into the body. I'm convinced today, church, that we need a fresh baptism of the Holy Ghost because if the Holy Ghost is what makes us one body, then maybe a lack of it is why we battle division and strife. If we stay full of the Holy Ghost, we stay unified. We must be baptized in the Holy Ghost. I'm not gonna be ashamed of it. I'm not gonna quit talking about, talking about it. I want us to continue to experience it because to be filled with the Holy Spirit means that you are being baptized into one body. You ever been to a family reunion and somebody you don't know shows up? And maybe they entered it, well, this is your long lost cousin. Have you ever had somebody just pull off the interstate and stop and come get a plate and start going through your family reunion? Everybody start, what do you do? You don't first go up to this person and say, hey! Because you, you may know them, you just don't know you know them. So what do you do? What's the first thing you do? You slip around, hey, see that guy up there with them 15 kids pulled up in that school bus? Who is that? Do you know him? You ask another family member, don't you? 
I want to tell you just like that, in your natural family, everybody who knows the Lord knows His kids. Now I'm going to say something to you. If you're a part of the family of God, you know who the family is. Now I'm going to let that settle in on you. Because there can be people come in and play the part, but anybody that's really a part of the family, they know who the family is. So now you know, and you probably experienced it, maybe some of you, if you've ever said to me, Brother Gene, I don't feel a part. You've heard something very emphatically from me. It doesn't mean anything's wrong with the church because the church is the body and there ain't nothing wrong with his body. Oh, you're not hearing me now. But just because you attend, just because you say, well, I like this church or I like this preacher doesn't mean you're in the family. The Holy Ghost baptizes you into the family. You remember those old songs? Give me that old time religion. Give me that old time. We don't want it, but we sing it. Give me that old time religion. It's good enough. No. I should say, everybody that's packing now, stand and sing, makes me love everybody. <laughs> Thought I'd see if you were awake. Makes me love everybody. It's good enough. My old pastor would say, makes me talk in tongues and totter. Let you know that if you got her, makes you talk in tongues and totter. Yeah. That's the kind of church I was raised in. You just make up verses. Give me that old time religion. The Holy Ghost puts the body together. So what your pastor's calling for you to do today is to make sure you're full of the Holy Ghost because that's what makes you a part of the body. Somebody say amen. The physical body has many members. You notice my members who are unique minister to one another. My hair does not comb itself, although you may think it does. My teeth do not brush themselves. My hands do not manicure themselves. My toes don't take care of their own toenails. Hello? Everybody okay? Your body knows how to minister to itself. So in this body, is, this is the way the body works. The head is connected to all the members by the nervous system. And it controls every one of those members. The head of this church is Jesus Christ. And if there's a nervous system that connects him to this body, which we know in Acts where he told Saul, me and my body are one. When you do something to that body, you're doing it to me. You better hear that. So what is that nervous system? It is the Holy Ghost. It's the connection between the head and the church. Church, we cannot lose the moving of the Holy Spirit. I am not interested in being a dead, popular church. I am interested in the body being connected to the head. 
I want to have a Holy Ghost move. I want the gifts of the Spirit to operate because that's what happens in the family. Come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. The Bible says that the Spirit coordinates the fellowship. I want you to think about that for a minute because the passage goes on to say that we are neither Jews nor Greeks, bond nor free. We shouldn't have to have race relation classes in the church. You know why? Because the Spirit coordinates the fellowship. Anybody hearing what I'm saying? When we got the Holy Ghost, we became neither Jews nor Greeks, bond nor free. We do not base our relationships on money, race, background, ethnicity, hobbies, age, and the list goes on and on. We base our relationships with one another on the bond of the Spirit, the drink of which we're all drinking. I want to get another drink today. The Holy Ghost gives gifts to the members of the body of Christ. Think about that. Turn to your neighbor and tell them you're gifted. Turn to your neighbor and tell them you're gifted. As I close, I don't have time to do a study of Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12. But the Bible says He gives the members of the body gifts, listen now, according to the needs of the body. You know why your ear can hear? Because you need to hear. That's a gift to your body. You know why God gave you eyes so you can see? He gave your body a gift. You know why you have knuckles on your finger? You know why you have one finger out here by itself? It's called a thumb. It's a gift. You can't even hold on to anything without that one appendage. Your thumb is a gift. I want you to let that settle on you a little bit. Would you look around you? Think about who in here is insignificant or doesn't count. Who in the, who's important and who's not? Well, wait a minute. If God put us all here for His purpose, and then He said, the reason you're there is because you have a gift that the body needs. You are here because you have a gift that the body needs. Think about it. It's absolutely necessary for everyone in the family of God to do what God's purposed them to do. How can you ask the eyes to do the work of the hands? How can you ask your feet to do the work of your mouth? In fact, where have you ever seen any person who delegates the affairs of their entire body 
to just one or two members. Think about it. Tell yourself, okay, today I'm not using anything but my right arm. How well would your day go? It wouldn't go anywhere. Your right arm can't get you to the bathroom. It may be able to shave you, but it can't walk you to the shower. Think about going to work. <laughs> Maybe somebody could carry you to your car and put you... Nobody ever relegates their entire body to one member. It's not that way in the church either. You are a part of this family <laughs> as untraditional and as dysfunctional as you may think it is. You are here because the body needs you. I cannot stress that enough. If any part of the body becomes inactive, it's because sickness has... Oh. I mean, let, let's, let's get to do a little case here. Okay, Nicole, you, you wake up early in the morning and you kind of nudge Bryce awake and Bryce wakes up and, and you say, honey, you want me to go fix you some breakfast before you leave? No comments, Bryce, no comments. And Bryce says, Nicole, I'm feeling a little odd. I feel kind of disembodied. I can't move my left arm. I can't move my left leg. What is Nicole going to do? Well, good thing the rest of you is working. No, nobody ever does that. What do they get concerned about? They get concerned about the part that has inability. Uh-oh, something's wrong. What's causing this? Are you having a stroke? I'm going to take your blood pressure. And the list goes, I'm calling 911. Then why do we think in the church that when we're inactive and we're just kind of coming and going, that we think that's normal? I've been given all kind of opportunities today to function. When they started singing, I got a mouth. Might as well sing. I got some hands. The Lord brings a few things to my mind. I'm not sure if this is the Lord or not. Last night I happened to see two football teams getting ready to play each other, you know. It's an opening ceremonies and they're getting ready to play. And they panned down the sideline of one team. And there was grown men. Well, huh, at least they're over 18. They look grown. They're big enough to be grown. But all down that sideline. The coach was in front of them holding them back. They were on their hands and knees acting like dogs. And the camera going right in front of them. I thought, what an idiot. In 50 years, he's going to show his grandkids that. Him barking like a rabid dog on the sidelines. But you know what? Maybe, just maybe, he was caught up in the environment. Maybe there were 
100,000 fans in the stands and the place was roaring and the guy thought, nobody's ever going to see me. I think I'll be a bulldog right now. So he just let himself go and he got on his knees and he said, since I am a bulldog, I'm going to act like a bulldog. And he just started barking and carrying on and somebody holding him back like they had a leash. I've looked at some of you and thought, I wonder what you are. Because we start singing praises and I think anybody that knows God ought to start feeling like I'm a child of God. I've been bought with the blood of Jesus. I've been forgiven from all my sins. I'm not going to sit here any longer. This part of the body, I don't know what part I am, but it's going to function today. I'm going to praise... I'm going to praise the Lord. I'm going to worship Him. Come on, somebody give God praise right now. I don't want to be the sick one. Several, I'm closing. Several centuries ago, in a little mountain village of Europe, a wealthy man wandered what legacy he should leave to the townspeople who had been so good to him. He made a good decision. He decided to build the townspeople a church. And nobody was permitted to see the plans or the inside of the church until it was all finished. And at its grand opening, the town was invited. People gathered marveled at the beauty of the new church. Everything had been thought of and included. It was just a masterpiece. But then somebody, and there's always somebody, wait a minute. Where are the lamps? It's really quite dark in here. How is this church going to be lighted? The builder pointed to some of the brackets on the walls and he had a few friends bring out the last of the decorations. It was lanterns. And each family there was given a lantern. And that man said, it's an intricate part of the design of this church that every time you come to worship, The place where you sit will be lighted. You need light. Each time you are not here, the place where you sit will be dark. This is to remind you that whenever you fail to come to church, some part of God's house will be dark. Whether we realize it or not, we're all bringing a lamp to the house of God. It's what Jesus said. You don't light a lamp and put it under a bushel. You need to show it. Your worship is your lamp. It's light in this church. You're, I can't tell you how many people I've, I've had folks in this church say, Pastor, they don't, they don't make a lot of noise. They, they're very, you know, you, you may not even notice if they're there or not. But I got sick or I wasn't at church and somebody called me. They sent me a card. 
the body has to function, see. Romans 12, 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace. I want you to hear that. I don't have time to preach it. But that tells me that due to the difference in grace that each one of us have received, that we have different gifts. See, we think amazing grace, how sweet the sound. We think, well, that's all the same grace. No, the Bible tells us we have differing gifts just like the differing grace we receive. God's brought me a mighty long way. The eye should see, the feet should walk, the hand should work. Even the smallest gift should not be buried because we're a part of the family. 1 Corinthians 12 instructs us that one member should not usurp the place of another. You know what it means? Stay in your lane. That's what it means. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, stay in your lane. That means I I shouldn't try to be somebody else and somebody else shouldn't try to be me. God put me here because the church needs me. We should not occupy somebody else's place nor lose our own place because according to the grace we've been given, we have differing gifts. Somebody say amen. And so, uh, Brother Kyle preached the strength of the church last week. I'm preaching the glorious church, but I vacillated on the weather to preach the weakness of the church. Because there's a parable in the Bible that I'd like to close with, and it's the parable of the talents. To one he gave five, to another two, and to another one. You remember that? What did the five talent and the two talented person do? They multiplied their talent, didn't they? The five became ten. The two became four. Right? Right. The one talented, for whatever reason, and he says it, I was afraid. I knew you were a hard master. (laughs) The one talented buried his talent and did not multiply it. I want to say this to all of us gathered here today. Whether the church is prosperous or not depends less on the people with five and two talents. Oh yes. We talked about the strength of this church being families. But just as a chain is only as strong as its weakest link, usually the church is not having difficulties because of the five or the two talented people. It's because the difficulty lies with those that have one talent. And they say, I can't sing like them. I can't play like them. I can't do what they do. They'll never notice it if I never invest. So I'll just bury it. So the one talented tend to bury their talent. While the five and the two are working really hard. You know what you need to realize? There's not one person in this family that has no talent. No. Jesus did not say, I gave five to one and two to another and one to one and oh, this cat over here, he didn't get it. No, everybody's got at least one. 
that's the beauty. As much as you would like to excuse yourself, everybody in this room has at least... Now we can argue about how many you have, but we know this, that when God puts you in the church, (laughs) you have at least one thing he's asking you to give. And the problem is not usually with those that have five or two. The entire problem of the church today is with the one talent. I want you to think about that for a minute. That means everybody has something to offer. Well, I can't sing in the choir. Well, you mean to tell me is that all there is to do around here? I can't preach the sermon. I can't teach the Sunday school class. I can't sing on the praise team. Is that all there is to do around here? Oh, no, no. Friend, there's no part of the body that has no talent. And that's why the Holy Ghost has put you in the body. Everybody has something to give. Hollywood musicals were very popular during the 50s and 60s. And because of those very popular musicals, there were three actresses in particular that sprung to fame. Audrey Hepburn, Natalie Wood and Deborah Kerr. These ladies thrilled their viewers with their compelling performances and their melodious voices. (laughs) But a huge part of the appeal of these actresses, it was the breathtaking singing that enhanced their acting. And so they would sing these songs and they became very popular. But in fact, the classic film success were actually due in large part, listen, not Catherine Hepburn or Natalie Wood for that matter. Her name was Marnie Nixon. Marnie Nixon. In fact, when you heard those actresses singing, they weren't singing at all. It was Marnie Nixon who was dubbing the voices for each of those leading ladies, who for years until her death went completely unaccredited for the contribution she had made. I don't know who in this room says, I don't have much to offer, so I'm just not going to offer it. I want to tell you something. You don't have a right to hinder the rest of the body. This body needs to move and function and operate. And if nobody sees it, so what? Keep on singing. (laughs) If nobody notices, keep on praying. I can't tell you how many times I've driven up to this church and I've seen a man's truck in the driveway and I thought, you know, I know God is noticing that. There may be nobody else knows that that man is here praying, walking these aisles, but God knows. Come on, body, keep on working. Keep on functioning. Keep on giving. Because, oh. Oh, come on, let's stand together. And let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise today. I love you, Jesus.
so much my handkerchief can't even hold it anymore. Sometimes we focus our attention on those with multiple gifts and abilities. And today our focus is on those who may consider themselves less gifted. People in this church that have one talent. And you might think that because it's just one talent, it won't be missed. But let me tell you, friend, that when all those with one talent rise up and serve the Lord, then we will have a church that's without spot, wrinkle, or blemish, or any such thing. In fact, I want to remind you, the Apostle Paul depended on exactly that kind of person in his ministry. We all remember Paul. But do you remember Tertius? Tertius was Paul's scribe who gave Paul's voice written power we find in Romans 16 Epaphras I can't pronounce some of them because I'm not familiar with them consistent behind the scenes in prayers that were essential for Paul in the early church in Colossians 4 Lydia opened her home when the weary apostle needed restoration in Acts 16 her claim to fame you know what her one talent was I can house the preacher for a night Paul's work would have never been possible without the support he received from one talented people. Thank God for every one of them. Because I know that if every one talented person in this room would give their talent, that talent would multiply and it would come back blessed. Oh, I want you to reach over and connect with somebody in the body beside you.